All right, you all ready for Revelation? Perfect, perfect. Hey, I know you all are still half asleep from what you ate on Thursday, but I'm going to need you all to wake up and talk to me. Uh, uh, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Um, this is the next to last, I believe, uh, talk in this series. Um, next week, I think we will end out in Revelation 21 and 22. Um, so this is the next to last. Um, and I'll just give you a heads up what this passage is, is John going into more detail of Jesus judging and conquering his enemies. Um, so that's what this will be. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, and we're going to go to 20, verse 15. Once you're there, let's stand and read together. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp, sharp sword with uh, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. The angel said, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave. Cool little Bible thing. That's what David said was going to happen to Goliath right before David killed Goliath. So when this angel says, come eat this flesh, he's saying, Jesus is the true David who defeats his enemies, and the birds will come feast on him after Jesus defeats him. That's cool. Um, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Um, its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all of the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and all will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to them, uh, to gather them for battle. Gog and Magog in the Old Testament are two countries that made war on God. John's using a, a, a prophetic picture, just a blanket statement, say all of these enemies who make war on God. 
um, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The title I want to put on this is Say You Will. Say You Will. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we say do all that you want to do. We're open. Show us Jesus. Transform us and change us. Make us look more like Jesus. Give us more faith in Jesus. Make us more faithful followers of Jesus today. Amen. Uh, you can be seated. So what I want to do is I want to pull out the core or general truth of this passage. Um, preach that. And then I want to um, look at the ways this specific passage specifically applies that truth. So we're going to pull out the core truth and then look at how this passage specifically applies that truth. Does that make sense? Cool. Let's let's get this core truth. Um, I, I named this this sermon after a, a song um, that came out when I was in high school or junior high called Say You Will. And one of the lines of that song, the 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 guy singing, he says, don't say you will unless you will. Uh, you ever been in a point ever felt like that? Don't, don't you tell me you're going to do that unless you actually do it. Like somebody did said something, they were going to do something that sounded real good. And you're kind of hesitant or like, hmm, don't say you're going to do it unless you're actually going to do it. Uh, uh, back in my, 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 my smooth talking days before I met Chelsea, um, I, I used to say that to girls who'd say they're going to call me back. Uh, it's like, girl, don't you say you're going to call me back unless you actually call me back. Uh, <laughs> don't you have me waiting? Um, at least for me, behind a statement with that is is a history of being let down, uh, of the girl actually not calling me back. Um, um, here's an example. Uh, this past week, last weekend, two boys came knocking on my door, two neighbor boys, probably in junior high. Um, and one of them came up and said, hey, we were just wondering, do you need someone to, to rake your leaves? And first I was offended because I was like, are you telling me I don't take good care of my lawn? Like, is that what you're doing? And then I finally was like, you're just trying to make some money. And he was like, yeah. And so I was like, here, I'll pay you $40 if you rake it all um, and bag it up. Um, and so Chelsea and I, I paid him. And then we left for the day thinking we're going to come back to a nice, good, clean yard. Fam, I came back. It was like 11 a.m. We left. We came back at 6 p.m. It's dark. There are all leaves. And my rake is on the porch where I left it. I was let down. Now, now, it's one thing to be let down by a junior high boy. Have you ever, on a more serious note, felt let down by Jesus? Have you ever felt like you were about to be let down by Jesus? But like, 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 uh, Jesus, what you said was really good, but that, that's who John's writing to. 
John's not writing to everybody in this specific passage. The specific somebodies that John is writing to are people who feel as if they might be on the brink of getting let down by Jesus. And here's why, because there are things that they've read in the scripture of how life would be once Jesus came. There are things that Jesus said how life would be after he went up. And as far as they can tell, when they look out into the world, what they see isn't directly lining up with what Jesus said. Jesus said, as far as they could tell, they thought Jesus said that they'd see his visible kingdom actually increase on earth and see no opposition. But they're looking out and they're seeing this evil anti-God oppressive Roman Empire grow like wildfire across the known world. What, What they see isn't directly lining up with what God said. They, 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 they thought they heard Jesus say you'd have eternal life, life of the age to come, life that's heaven on earth. He who believes in me will never die, and though he die, yet he shall live. But they're watching friend after friend after friend walk up to the chopping block. What, what they see doesn't directly line up with what God said. Have you ever felt like that? Have you felt like this thing I see, it, it seems to not line up with what God said? God, Jesus, you said that I would have your peace and your peace is greater than the world's peace. But but here I am. I look at the movie of my life and I'm watching myself battle thoughts and emotions constantly. What, what I see don't directly line up with what you said. Jesus, you said don't worry about tomorrow because all these things will be added, but it's past midnight. It's tomorrow, Jesus. And I don't see these things yet. You, you, got a, you might have got a specific word from God. Your friends agreed with you and prayed with you. Scripture backed it up. Here you are days, weeks, months later, and what you see is not what you thought would happen as that word played out. What, what do you do when what you see doesn't exactly line up with what God said. That, that's who that's who God's talking to. Through, through the pen of John, God, God is saying to people who, who 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 see these things. He's saying, if Jesus said He will, He will. The point of this passage is John reassuring these people who see things that seem different than what God says. And John's saying, Hey, I just want to remind you, friends, if Jesus said He will, He will. How do I know that? Check verse 11. Verse 11 is Jesus's intention statement. It's what Jesus says he's going to do. John says that in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is what Jesus said he will do. John is pointing us to what Jesus said he will do. So John 1, he's showing us what Jesus said he will do. But in an even greater extent, he's trying to convince us that Jesus will actually do that. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do that by showing us Jesus's character and showing us Jesus's ability. John says Jesus has the character to do what he said he'd do, and he has the ability to do what he said he'd do. That's why John says he's called faithful and true. Most scholars believe that's, that's, that's John saying Jesus is faithful and true to his word. He's faithful and true to do what he said he'd do. Um, I'll say it this way. John is saying Jesus has good credit. Uh, I don't want to be overly reductionistic, but you know how credit scores work. I'm um, also welcome everybody on live stream. Do you know how credit scores work? Uh, uh, people, they, they, they look at your history of you paying back the money you said you were going to pay back. People who don't have a good history of paying back what they said they were going to pay back have, have a low credit score. People who do have a good history of paying back what they said they were going to pay back have a high credit score. John's saying Jesus has a perfect credit score. He, he does everything he said he'd do. He's credible. But then John also says he's, he's capable. 
Uh, I've told you I coached at College Heights a few years ago, uh, junior high basketball, and I used to make them, sorry, Jeremiah, for these sports stories. I'm about to have two right back to back. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to let it go if y'all are wondering. Um, what did I say? College Heights. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I used to do this thing where I'd make my boys run for conditioning after practice. Um, a lot, a lot. I was like, teams might be better than us, but they won't be in better shape than us. Uh, that was one of the best lines I ever had. Um, uh, so I used to make them boys run. But I had a deal with them. I said, at any given practice, one of you can volunteer to shoot two free throws. If you make those two free throws, we go home, practice is over, you don't got to run a lick. You miss one of them free throws or running double. You miss both of those free throws or running quadruple. Um, so, so I had boys come and do it, and some made, some didn't. But there was one day I had this uh, young boy come up. I'm going to go name his name. He came up, and he said, Coach, I'll do it. Before he finished that sentence, the other 13 boys said, No! <laughs> Why? That boy couldn't shoot worth a lick. It don't matter how good his intentions were. It don't matter how much he followed through with actually trying to do what he said he'd do. It didn't matter if he couldn't actually do it. If he wasn't capable. John is saying not only is Jesus credible in getting up and attempting to do what he said he'd do, Jesus is capable to actually do it. He don't just try, he succeeds, is what John's showing us. That, that's what he's showing us here. He's showing us that Jesus, he, he succeed, he's, he's successful. He's capable in, in judging. That's why John says that from his mouth is this, this, this sword and he judges the nations with a rod of iron. That's judgment language used of God in the Old Testament. John is saying in the same way that God, Yahweh, is, is this righteous judge, Jesus also has that same power in judgment. John's showing us that Jesus is capable of judging. John's also showing us that Jesus is capable of making war. That's why John says that Jesus is on this white horse and all of heaven's armies follow behind him. And he says his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, meaning you name a power. Jesus is more powerful. John says Jesus is capable to do what he said he'd do. Um, Let me spin that another way. Um, John would say that Jesus has the heart and the hands to do what he said he'd do. Um, y'all have heard me talk about this before, um, I believe. Uh, Larry Bird. Y'all know who Larry Bird is? Basketball player. Uh, I think I told y'all this story in the summer. There is this uh, interview, former NBA player. He's retired now. He was talking about when he was a rookie and he had to guard Larry Bird. And he said he's running down court next to Larry. And, and Larry whispers over to him and he says, hey, kid, um, I'm going to catch the ball right there. And after I catch the ball right there, I'm going to pump fake. You're going to jump. I'm going to take one dribble to the left right there. I'm going to pull up. I'm going to make it in your face all net. This kid says Larry walks him down court, catches the ball right here like he said he would. Pump fakes. And homie said, I jump like he said I would. Took a dribble to the left like he said he would. Pulled up from right there like he said he would. Net in his face like he said he would. Larry had the heart to do what he said he'd do by actually attempting to do it. Larry had the hands to do what he uh, said he'd do by actually doing it. That's what I'm trying to tell you about Jesus. Jesus has the heart and the hands to do what he said he'd do. Uh, You look at those four accounts of Jesus' life in your Bible called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have at least three clear statements from the mouth of Jesus where he says, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to let y'all bury me. And on the third day, I'm going to get back up. Fast forward to Easter weekend. Jesus got hung up high like he said he would. 
Jesus got stretched real wide like he said he would. Jesus hung his head like he said he would. And then he died like he said he would. But that's not where the story ends, friends. On the third day, Jesus got back up again like he said he would. I'm telling you that Christ has died and Christ is risen like he said he would. So when I survey that wonderful cross where my king of glory died, I know that if he said it, he'll do it because he has the heart and the hands to do it. If he said he will, he will. So so what does that mean? I heard a preacher say this a few years ago, and I want to share it with you. When what you see doesn't match what God said, Go with God, what God said. When you find yourself in this conflict of what do I believe? Do I believe my eyes or his word? Believe his word. Look at this little thing I wrote myself this week. Um, it, It says this. If he said he will, he will. Regardless of what I feel, I'll live like it's as good as done. I had to tell myself that a few times. I had to preach that to myself. If he said he will, he will. So regardless of what I feel. I will live like it's as good as done. You want to know why I said regardless of what I feel? You know how emotions work, right? Um, Daniel Goleman, uh, author of a book called uh, Emotional Intelligence, he says this. He says, read this quote. He says, all emotions are, in essence, impulses to act. So here's how humans work. See, feel, act. See, feel, act. You see something, it makes you feel something. That feeling nudges you to act in a certain way based off of that feeling. For example, some of you see a cute baby, you feel this aggressive emotion of cuteness, and that, that aggressive emotion of cuteness, that, that feeling, it pushes you to act and just squeeze the baby's little toes or something. See, feel, act. See, feel, act. Human history Christian history is full of people who've seen something that seemingly didn't line up with what God said that caused them to feel confused, discouraged, hopeless. And it ended up nudging them to act in ways like, I don't know, Abraham, having an illegitimate baby because it's been too long. It's caused them to feel like they needed to figure it out for God. It's caused some people to stop hoping in God's word. It's caused some people to act by stop hoping in God altogether. See, feel, act. But you know what faith is. Uh, the author of Hebrews says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. It's I'm convinced that God will do what he said he'd do even if I don't see it. I'm convinced that God will do what he said he'd do even when I don't feel like it. I'm convinced to do, that God would do what he said he'd do even when I'm being nudged and impulsively uh, moved to act in a way that says otherwise. It's saying, I, I know I see something that doesn't line up. I know I feel something that feels like it's not lined up. I know I'm tempted to act in a way as if it's not lining up. But faith says, no, I believe his word and I'm going to keep acting like his word is true. And this isn't just a one-time moment. This is a lifestyle. This means I'm going to continue to act like his word is true, even when I continue to see something that seems otherwise, even when I continue to feel discouraged, even when I continue to feel confused. I'm going to keep on keeping on living like it's true. If he will, he will. So regardless of what I feel, I'm going to live like it's true. 
that, that's the general passage. That's the general truth of this passage. That's the, the core truth of this passage. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at the specific ways it's applied. Um, I've already mentioned them. The specific way this passage applies this is in terms of judgment and conquering or making war. John, he's writing this passage to these people, and he says, if Jesus said he will judge, he will judge. And if Jesus said he will make war and conquer, he will make war and conquer. So let's run through those two. The first one, uh, he will judge his earthly enemies. He will judge his earthly enemies. That's what John's showing us here when uh, in one of those first visions where uh, John says all these kings of the earth uh, joined along with the beast to make war on Jesus. And it says Jesus, Jesus just judged those kings of the earth. And then later it says all of the dead rose. It says even death and Hades uh, to show you that if if you're dead, anyone, no one's exempt, you'll rise again. And it says Jesus will judge you according to what you've done. Jesus, he's he's judging people according to what they've done. Let me give you a picture of what judgment looks like. Um, I went to a school called Brocklin Elementary, and uh, I just realized Brocklin sounds like Brock, um, and Brock's right there. Um, Brocklin Elementary uh, in the sixth grade, and one of the most crucial times of the school day uh, is that first thirty minutes when we get into class, because that's when our teacher was taking lunch orders. Um, and some of you, you, you know this feeling. You, you had to decide between the cardboard pizza, um, and chocolate milk, uh, or the, 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 the stale chicken nuggets and, uh, white milk. Um, so she's going one by one. What do you choose? What do you choose? What do you choose? Cardboard pizza. What do you choose? Chicken nuggets. What do you choose? I brought my own lunch. Uh, what do you choose? What do you choose? Fast forward a few hours at about noon, the teacher leaves the room and she comes back with a cart and she starts passing out what people chose. I thought about that story this week, and, and I think God said to me, Jerron, lunchtime is preaching to you. I said, what you mean? He said, that lunchtime is a picture of what judgment time is. Uh, there's going to be a time where Jesus comes back, and you know what judgment is. Judgment will be Jesus giving people the eternal results of their choices on earth. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Uh, in other words, there are two kinds of people. Those who, while they live on earth, say to God, you have your way. And those who, at the judgment, God will say to them, here, you have your way. Uh, what am I saying? I'm saying, so like, we, we, no one knows exactly what hell is. But at the least, we know hell is not with Jesus. There's that. People who end up getting judged and sent to hell, it was their choice. And I'm not saying people choose hell. No one chooses eternal judgment and torment. People just while they were on earth chose not Jesus. It says we don't want you. Therefore, the obvious one-two correlation is eternally you don't get Jesus. Therefore, hell. So I just want to pause for the calls right quick and say, um, all my friends who aren't Christians, all my friends who haven't made a choice for Jesus, if you've ever wondered why Christians don't just mind their business and why we're out there with Jesus, it's because one, we know Jesus is just too good for us to shut up about. We, we got to tell you about Jesus. But, but, but two, we know that at some point it's going to be too late for people to choose Jesus. And so we're just trying to get to you early and say, Hey, it's time to make a good choice. 
And I also just want to pause for the cause and say, I don't just want to talk about it. I want to invite you today. Choose him today. Don't wait until you're older. You don't know if tomorrow's going to come. Don't wait until you get your life together. That day will never come. Any Christian who's been walking with Jesus for more than 10 years, can you please say amen to that? I'll say amen to that, too. We don't got nothing together. Don't wait. No, no. Choose Jesus now. I'm saying Jesus, he walked into the world through the womb of a woman without the help of a man. He died. He rose on the third day, walked the stairway up into heaven, poured out his spirit on the earth, is talking to you through this brown man right now. And he's saying, I'm offering you myself. I'm offering you satisfaction. I'm offering you life with God. I'm offering you a family. I'm offering you protection and provision. I'm offering you a new you, not a better you, a new you, not a more improved you, a new you. He says, I'm offering you everything you were made for and more. The more I have for you blows your mind. You think you have a picture of a good life up here. I'm saying what I have for you blows your framework out of the water. Choose him today. As a matter of fact, at the end of this meeting, we'll have a group of people over there that would love to talk with you if you want to talk about that choice. You don't want to talk with them, talk to the person you're sitting next to. You don't want to talk to them, talk to the person who invited you. You don't want to talk to them, talk to me. Whatever you do, I'm saying choose today. Uh, Christian friends, you know why this passage encourages me? This passage don't encourage me because Jesus is sending people to hell. This passage encourages me because there's a judge. Y'all know who um, Asaph is? Have you heard that name? Uh, he's, he's a songwriter in ancient Israel. Uh, one of his greatest hits, Psalm 73. Um, he gave us a peek into his personal experience as a human. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it. And let me just see if you felt like Asaph felt at sometimes. Um, Asaph said in the song, he said, I was feeling some kind of way because a cultural translation, I was feeling some kind of way I was disturbed. Um, I was disturbed. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just going to say it. This, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was feeling disturbed because I looked out into the world and I saw people set on doing bad, getting good. Have you ever felt that way? Asaph said, I looked out and these people who were setting on getting bad, I saw them only know comfort and more comfort. They never knew trouble. They never got sick. They got richer. They got more prideful. They were talking nasty about God. They didn't have any accountability. They were running wild and evil, yet things kept getting better for them. Have you felt that way? Then Asaph, towards the end of this song, he says, when I looked at how people sit on bad, get good, and when I look at people who try to do good, get bad, I ask myself, is trying to live right even worth it? Have you ever felt that way? I'll confess, as your pastor, I have. What this passage does, it encourages me because it's not pointing me to karma. This passage encourages me because it's not pointing me to the the legal system of the U.S. This passage encourages me because it's pointing me to a righteous judge. It's pointing me to Jesus who sees all that happens in the dark and the light. 
It's pointing me to Jesus who remembers all that happens in the dark and the light. It's pointing me to Jesus who won't miss a mark in handing people the judgment based off of what they did. Good, Jesus will give good to those who believed in him. Jesus will give uh, the opposite to those who chose to chose not to believe in him. It points me to a righteous judge. So this sense of longing for fairness and justice and the worth it of living righteous today, I know Jesus is my hope for it. And I know I can live right today, even if I'm not seeing an immediate payoff, if you will. I know I can stick with Jesus today because in the end, it's going to be worth it because he's a righteous judge. He's going to judge if he will. He said if he said he will, he will. Uh, Here's the second one. Um, He will judge his supernatural enemies. He will judge his supernatural enemies. There are three writers right now that none of us would know their names, but I'm willing to bet that 75% of the people in this room have had their whole human existence uh, shaped and affected by these writers. Um, They started off in the 90s by inviting us into a story of what seemed like an hour and 20-minute experience of watching a, a father who was a king train up and raise his boy to take the throne and be the king. Uh, then they walked us into tragedy where the father had to seek to save the son's life. Then they ripped our souls out when they killed that father out of the story. Um, uh, the authors of Lion King absolutely changed the narrative when they killed Mufasa, when they removed Mufasa out of the story. Uh, I had a history teacher um, who said, history is his story. Um, And Jesus completely changes that story when when he removes his enemies out of that story, uh, when he kills his enemies off. That's what John's saying he's going to do here. John says he's going to throw Satan into this lake of fire. John says he's going to throw death into this lake of fire. John says he's going to throw Hades or the place of death into this lake of fire. John says he's going to throw this anti-God authority uh, that's authorized by Satan and their salesmen into the lake of fire. John says... All of the enemies of Jesus, Jesus is going to completely remove them from the story, which is history. Uh, You look throughout history and you look throughout uh, the scripture and a lot of these enemies that it says Jesus will remove from the story also play the part of um, bullies of God's people and all of humanity. Um, Let's just take Satan, for instance. Um, You don't just got to be a Christian. There are other cultures and religions that know there's some dark force that is tormenting human beings. Um, let, let's take death, for example. Uh, Hebrews says that Satan uses death to coerce us into sin or compromising our values. Uh, let's just talk about the West. Our part of the world, Midwest, uh, 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 the U.S. You've seen people do some crazy stuff to run from death. Yeah, you have. I know you have. Um, I don't want to be reductionistic, but Christians were also hoarding in March of 2020, as opposed to taking care of neighbors when we thought we were threatened by death with this uh, virus that started running around. Uh, We were threatened by death and started compromising. I don't want to be reductionistic, but there are Christians who run around yelling, if so-and-so comes at me and comes on my property, I'm going to kill him. That's not the Sermon on the Mount. The threat of death causes us to compromise. Uh, it is Christians who compromise their values politically when they think 
that the political scheme, the situation of the uh, states is uh, threatening their life, if you will. Uh, we get coerced into compromise by these enemies. But, but listen, that story of compromise has been turned into a story of courage because Jesus has defeated all of those enemies that coerce us. We, 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 we don't look at death anymore and are, and are coerced into compromise because we know death is defeated. We don't, we don't look at Satan and are coerced into compromise anymore because we know Satan is defeated. We don't look at anything anymore and compromise out of fear because it's all been defeated. Jerron, how you know it's defeated? I still, I still experience uh, spiritual warfare. Satan might be, still be coming at you, but he's on death row, friends. That's what my Bible tells me. Jerron, how do you know death is defeated? My friend just died last week. Death is expiring, friends. Jesus defeated the grave. That's what my Bible tells me. So we don't look at that stuff anymore in fear. We don't run from it anymore. We don't compromise in the face of it. We courageously hold on to life with Jesus and our values because it's all been defeated. If he said he'll conquer, he, he, he will conquer. Um, I love you. Let me give you a, two quick bonus ones right quick that are also in this passage. Um, surprise, I told you there are two points, therefore. Um, uh, real quick, uh, if he said he will protect, he will protect. Um, John, he talks about, you saw where he says Satan was bound for a thousand years, and then Jesus comes back and Satan is released, and you, that passage. There are very few passages in the Bible that have sparked more discussion and disagreement among Christians. Um, there are a lot of views on what this actual, what this passage actually means. Um, there are only three that I think are legitimate. A lot of them came from movies and books that are not real. All you got to do is just like read your Bible and it's like, oh, that was a lie after all. Um, here, the three legitimate interpretations of what that means. Some think that there will be a period of time where Jesus comes back. There will be a literal thousand years of peace on earth and the church is reigning and killing it. At the end of that, Satan will come back and then Jesus will defeat Satan. That's a legitimate view. If you hold that, it's legitimate. There's another where people think at some point in history, the church just starts thriving and reigning on earth for a thousand literal years. And then at the end of that, Jesus comes back, lets out Satan and kills him. That's a third, second one. If you believe, if you think that's your, if that's your interpretation, legitimate. Um, I'll just show you my cards. There's a third one. Um, and Tim's cards as well. You don't got to believe this, but this is just where we're at. If you were ever wondering, um, we think that this isn't a literal a thousand years. We think this is, uh, the Bible uses the phrase a thousand years just to talk about some general long amount of time. So we think this is the long amount of time between Jesus's first coming and second coming. Between that time period, Satan is bound. What do I mean? I mean, he's limited in what he can do. That's why the church is thriving still. There's opposition, but we're thriving. Satan is limited. Um, so that's what we think is happening there. And there are a few other things. It says during that time, God's people will be priests and kings. That's, that's our present state. That's what the Bible says. We are now, not however many years from now. So we think it's this uh, indefinite amount of time where Satan's limited at the end, Jesus is going to come back and Satan won't be limited because he'll be dead. Um, did you see what happened during that period? It says towards the end of that time, there are going to be these people, enemies of God, that storm the church. And before they even get to the church, they'll be burned with fire. That's Jesus protecting his people. If he said he'll protect you, he'll protect you. 
Um, some of you experienced real spiritual warfare. Some of you experienced real threat. But here's what I know. It didn't crush you because you're here today. Uh, Isaiah said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Didn't say the weapon won't be formed. Didn't say the weapon won't come against you. He says the weapon won't prosper because Jesus is protecting you. Yes, it came. It didn't crush your faith. Yes, it came. It didn't crush your hope. Yes, it came. It didn't crush your joy. It didn't crush you. So one, if he will, if he said he will protect, he will protect. Here's the last one. Um, he will include the faithful dead in his reign. John says, I saw the souls of those who'd been killed for the testimony of Jesus and also the souls of those who just died without compromising. And it says they, they resurrected and they, and they reigned with Jesus for this indefinite amount of time. I think what John's saying is that when faithful followers of Jesus, when followers of Jesus die, they immediately glo- go into glory and reigning with Christ. So, so listen, some of you um, have had loved ones, uh, loved Christian influences um, who've died recently. I want to talk to you for a second. Um, I also want to talk to some of my older friends because I know it gets to a season of life where um, it's not uncommon for a lot of the people we've known to start dying. Um, I want to say this. When faithful Christians die, be sad, but please don't suffer hopelessly. Uh, September 30th, 2012, I got a phone call. It was a Sunday. I was at a festival. Got a phone call that um, my grandfather uh, is being rushed to the ER because uh, he was seizing up. I was the first one to make it to the ER, so it was me and him in that room alone as he's having seizures. And I'm watching my grandfather seize up, and I'm praying, God, don't let him die yet. Don't you let him go before uh, I get married. Don't you let him go before I go to college. Don't you let him go before I have kids. Here's how you know what time period it is. Don't you let him go before I make it to the NBA. Whatever you do, don't you let... Look, I was convinced, bro. I was going. If I was as tall as one of Jeremiah's kids, I would have been there. Um, (laughs) Now you're stuck with me. I mean, but I was like, God, do not let him die. Seven days later, October 7, 2012, I got a phone call at 12 a.m. that my grandfather had died. Um, I was sad, but at the same time, I was happy. Why, why? Three days earlier, my grandfather told my grandmother and me, he said, I caught a glimpse of where I was going. He said, I saw my king. I saw glory. I saw joy. I saw wholeness. This is the line that got me. He said, I'm ready to get up out of here. So I remember on that phone call, I said, cool, if you're ready to go and you want to be there, I want you to be there. So when I got that phone call that he died, I cried, but also rejoiced because he was where he wanted to be, reigning with Jesus. So here's what I'm saying to you, friends. When, when, a, when a faithful follower of Jesus dies, we cry, but we also rejoice at the same time because they're where they want to be. J- Jesus took, took death, which was a period, and made it into a comma, into glory. Jesus took death, which was a dead end, and made it a doorway into glory. Jesus took the grave, which was a which was a dead end, and made it a gateway into glory. Jesus made the final breath the beginning of a new life. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You've been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God, who's given us victory in Jesus Christ. If he said he will, he will. If he said he will, he will. Christchurch, pastor to people moment, right quick, pastor to people moment. Andy's not here, but I'm going to talk about him. Over the past uh, two years or so, Andy's been walking around with this otherworldly kind of perspective. 
Um, I remember when we first started coming back to in-person meetings, it was slow. People were coming back and it just kind of felt dead in the mornings. And I'd walk in kind of drudging like, we don't have to push through this one. And Andy would walk in here like, whoa, <laughs> some of you know it. Um, Andy, please be watching this and laughing at this, please. Uh, he'd just walk in, whoa. I'm like, Andy, what are you doing? And he says, God's here, and in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Ain't that great? And I'm like, <laughs> no! <laughs> Fast forward a little bit more. Um, um, just recently, I mean, I just want to tell you all a bunch of this stuff as your pastor is trial and error. So I'm sitting here like, I don't know if this is working. Having mild panic attacks on the inside. And Andy will walk in and be like, Whoa! And I'm like, Andy, stop it! <laughs> And he'd come and he'd be like, Jesus is here and he's building his church and he's pleased with what he's doing. And I'm like, Ugh. I don't see it. I don't feel it. Do you see what I see? And then it clicked one day. It don't matter if Andy sees what I see. Andy's living like what he said is true. And what he said is true is way more important than what we think we might see. So here's what I'm saying to us, Christ Church. If he said he will, he will. If he said he will build his church, he will build his church. If he said he will increase his kingdom, he will increase his kingdom. If he said he will finish the good work that he started in us, he will finish the good work that he started in us. Here's a specific word. If he said we're going to give a whole lot of money away and a whole lot of people away, he's going to make it happen. If he said he will judge, he will judge. If he said he will conquer, he will conquer. All that he said he'd do, he will do. So regardless of what we feel, we don't live like it's true. Can I pray for us? Stand with me. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We, we, we thank you. You're faithful, God. You're more faithful than we know. You're more powerful than we know. You're more capable than we know. Jesus, any, any, any concept that we think the fulfillment of word, what your word looks like, it, it falls short of what you'll actually do. falls short of what you actually have in mind. So we trust you. We trust you. Help us to live like it's true. Help us to believe you more. Give us faith, Jesus. We need faith. We, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. We love you. Amen.